0: Well, as you can see from your message guide tonight, we're going to get back to our series on experiencing more progress of victory in our lives as Christians over the spiritual enemies that we face every single day of our lives in the Lord. Of course, those spiritual enemies include and involve the world. We've looked at that already earlier this year. The flesh, which is what we're considering now, as well as the devil, which we will be considering here in the future. In our current series, our focus is on the enemy of our own fallen flesh, which in many ways is really the most dangerous enemy that we face. The, the reason why we may not face the enemy of the devil all that much is because he knows that we have our hands full with the flesh and the world, and we're barely overcoming them, let alone him. But to overcome the flesh, we need to continually use the weapons given to us by and through the Lord. Of course, our greatest weapon in our spiritual warfare, doesn't matter which enemy you're talking about, world, flesh, or devil, our greatest weapon is the Lord Himself. And that is why we must always depend on the Lord and dwell with His Spirit day by day, no matter what other means, no matter what other weapons we use in our warfare. Again... The basis, the foundation of fighting against our flesh is always depending on the Lord and dwelling with His Spirit day by day. But as we do so, we can then use the other weapons that we've looked at from various passages in the Bible. So just to review again where we've been. To fight against our flesh, we need to, first of all, learn to deny our flesh. To deny our flesh more and more. That's what we found in Romans 13, 14. Make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. It's kind of like if you're going on a diet and you have before you all kinds of candy. Of course, October is coming, right? With Halloween, you go to Walmart and there's all these bags of candy, all these temptations. And if you really want to lose weight, you ought to deny yourself that candy so that you can maintain that diet. Well, it's the same thing here. If you make provision for your flesh, you will fulfill the lust thereof. And that's why he says, make not provision, deny your flesh. That is one of our weapons in this war. But then we also need to learn to detest our flesh with a holy kind of hatred, a Christ-like kind of hatred, to detest our flesh, and not just our flesh, but even those things that are associated with our flesh. As it says in in Jude 23, hating even the garment that is spotted by the flesh. So even those things that are attached to our flesh, our our fallen flesh, that often contribute to our flesh, we need to hate those things, detest those things, deny those things as well. That includes anything that covers up or even brings comfort or contributes to the very lusts of our flesh. Uh, We also saw that we need to learn to discard our flesh. That is what we found in Ephesians 4, which is putting off the old man. That's another definition, description of our flesh. Putting off the old man while putting on the new man, which, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel that He's given to us. Discarding our flesh, which then leads to what we considered last time we were together, and that is to decontaminate our flesh. To decontaminate our flesh, where Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves, decontaminate our flesh from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So if you remember from just two weeks ago, it has been a little while, this process of decontamination, again, is never disassociated from depending on the Lord and dwelling with his spirit. That's the foundation. But this process of decontamination involves confession of our filthiness before God. You know, the Bible says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This decontamination involves contemplation of his word. Jesus even says in the Gospel of John, we'll get to it in our series through John, he says, it's my word that cleanses you. It's the washing of the water by the Word that helps us with this decontamination of our flesh. It also involves communion with the Lord. This daily communion through His Word and through prayer. Giving Him the praise of our lips, but also understanding what He has for us in His Word. But also, this decontamination involves commitment to the Lord. You, know, you might remember, and certainly I remember, various times where we would have you know, services, special services at our church or the Harvest Teen Rally or different things even at school. And, and, you know, one of the invitations was to rededicate yourself and recommit yourself to the Lord. And that is something that should be done on a daily basis in our lives as Christians, not just reserved for a special meeting, not just reserved for a a revival, not just reserved for uh, some other time or a camp somewhere. It should be something that we daily do, a recommitment of our lives before the Lord. This is the process of decontamination from our flesh. And if we do all of this on a daily basis, we will experience more progress in victory over our flesh. Well, tonight, uh, we're going to find another way to fight against our flesh. These are not steps that, that fall in a certain order, but rather all of these things are things that we can put in our spiritual arsenal to use as we fight against our flesh. And that is from the book of Romans. So, here in Romans chapter 8, you may already be there, Romans 8.13. We're going to also look at another passage from the book of Colossians. But here in Romans 8.13, first, the Apostle Paul says this, If ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But, if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Again, Romans 8.13, If ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye, through the Spirit, again, dwelling with the Spirit, right? Do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. So the next weapon that we have to wage war against our flesh is mortification. Or, another way of putting it, is the destruction of our old, fallen flesh. We need to destroy, search out and destroy our flesh. And of course, we're not talking about our physical flesh. We know that by now. We're talking about that spiritual old man, that fallen nature of ourselves, that still tries to raise itself up, even though it's already been crucified on the cross of Christ. Yet it still tries to get the victory over us. And now we need to go out on that search and destroy mission to mortify it, to get rid of it altogether. In fact, the word to mortify here in Romans eight thirteen, but also in 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 Colossians, which we'll see in a moment, to mortify simply means to put something to death. To put something to death. To do whatever it takes to eliminate whatever threatens you and your own existence. I mean, think about any war, any battle that you've ever heard about, maybe you've seen it on TV or heard about the news or read it in history books, most of the time, the ones that are actually fighting the battles... Now, obviously, there's the ones that are you know, in the upper echelons, the generals, they have strategies, they have goals, they have all of these purposes for that. But if you really get down to the trenches, those soldiers are just out there to kill or be killed. And if they don't want to be killed, then they're going to have to kill and mortify and search out and destroy their enemy. That's really kind of the basis of any battle that is out there. And that's what this mortification means. It means to do whatever it takes to eliminate whatever threatens you and your own existence. And so to mortify the deeds or the practices of the body means that as a Christian, again, under the power and direction of the Holy Spirit, you will do whatever it takes, whatever it takes, to kill off the sinful desires and deeds of your flesh. Mortify, destroy, kill them off. That might mean that you suppress them or starve them or strangle them. We'll look at some more ways that we can do that here in a minute. But your goal is to put your old fallen flesh more and more to death, to mortify. And in this verse, we find a couple of reasons why. First of all, because left to the flesh, when you are left to the flesh, you will die anyways. You will die anyways. Because being left to the flesh means death. Being left to the flesh means death. Part of Paul's argument in this chapter is that unbelievers are left to the flesh. That is, that's all they know. That's that's how they live. They're left to the flesh. And because of that, the end of their lives will will result in death. Now, we're not just talking about physical death. We're talking about all death. Spiritual death that will eventually turn into an eternal death. And again, that's why he says in verse 13, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. In other words, if you are living according to the desires of your fallen human nature, living is actually dying. And isn't this something that we see all the world around us? How many people do we see this happening to in this world? They think they're living because they're able to do whatever their hearts desire. They're able to go where they want to go. They're able to do what they want to do. They're able to say what they want to say. and, And they don't think they have any consequences in their life. But that kind of living is really dying. Again, if you live after the flesh, you shall die. They may not die tomorrow. They may not die next month. They may not die next year. But this is a process in which the death that is already in them will surely catch up to them. And they will never escape death. And so if you're left to the flesh, your living is indeed dying. And that's why, as Christians, that's one reason why we need to mortify the deeds of our body. Because if you do not kill them, they will kill you. This is something that James even tells us. You don't need to turn there. But in James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, James asks this question. Or I'm sorry, James talks about this. He doesn't ask a question. He says, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Now, we understand that. That's our experience, right? We know that when we are tempted, we're drawn away because of our own lusts and we're enticed. But what is that? What what does that do to us? What's the end result of that? When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth what? Death. When people live according to their lusts and their sinful, inordinate desires, those lusts will lead to death. And that is no way to live at all. So when the lusts of our flesh are finished with us, It always ends up the same with death. So the first reason that you need to mortify and do whatever it takes to destroy the flesh is because when you are left to the flesh, you will die anyways. But then there's a second reason. We're going to spend most of our time looking at this. The second reason that you need to mortify your flesh is because living in the Spirit means life. Living in the Spirit means life. You see, when as a believer in Christ, you depend on the Lord, dwell with His Spirit, His activity will be seen in your life. This is one of the reasons why we talk about fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. If there's no fruit, you have to wonder, is there any life? Since Paige's wedding this summer, you know, we did a lot of work outside to make it, you know, kind of nice and had, you know, watered the grass and watered the flowers and all of those things. But right after the wedding, I think you probably, most of you probably knew, but Angie and I got both sick. And we were sick for about two weeks and really didn't want to do much else but the work that we had to do. Didn't do anything else. And of course, that's when the rain stops. And it hasn't, I don't think, rained all that much significantly since then. And so all of those beautiful flowers that we worked so hard to, you know, keep alive and keep, keep in color, a lot of that is dead, right? And that's certainly something that you know where there's life. You know if there's life, the, if there's something green, if there's something vibrant, if there's color, there's fruit. And that's the same with us. That's the same with anybody in this world. And this is why Paul adds there in verse 13, but if you through the Spirit do mortify, destroy, kill off the deeds of the body, oh, You shall live, and and I imagine the the life that he's talking about there is even that abundant life, not just the eternal life that we will enjoy forever, but even that abundant life that Jesus promises in this life and in this age. This means that when you become a Christian, you have a new agent in your life, and that agent is the Holy Spirit of God. What an encouragement this is in the fight with our flesh. God does not leave you alone in this fight, Not, not alone in the fight against the world, Not in the fight against your flesh, certainly not against the fight with the devil. He does not leave you to yourself. Instead, He gives you the Holy Spirit to be the active agent in the entire process of mortifying and destroying your flesh. And what this means for believers, and of course that's who He has in mind throughout Romans chapter 8. What this means for believers is that when you die to your sin, and when you die to yourself, that is living. That is life. That's life more abundant. And if you are mortifying through the power of the Holy Spirit, those fallen desires and those fallen deeds of your body, your dying is living. The world may not see it that way. They might say, look at us, we're living. But if you die to yourself, and you die to your sin, and you deny and detest and discard and do all those things to try to fight against your own fallen flesh, they'll say, what kind of living is that? We'll say it's the life of Christ in me. Dying is living for those who have the Spirit of God as the agent in our lives. But at the same time, when you have the Holy Spirit doing this work through you, you also now have a new assignment for your life. A new assignment for your life. That is, He doesn't just do it all for us, He has us do it through Him and with Him. And our new assignment? Mortify, destroy, kill off the deeds of the body. Now, the deeds of the body here in this verse refer to those practices that flow out of the body, in which, really in many ways, is the organ of our lusts and sin. Now, we know that there are a lot of sins that we can commit with our mind, But if you think about it, there's a lot of sins that we use our body to commit as well. So that's the idea, the the sins and the deeds that flow out of our fallen, even human body. You see, this is the same body that God created for His glory in the beginning, and yet so often we use our bodies to sin, don't we? It's the same body for believers that Jesus redeemed through His blood on the cross and will one day resurrect And yet, we still use that same body sometimes to sin against the Lord, don't we? And even though all sins begin in the heart, as Jesus teaches us in the Gospels, still so many of those sins flow out of the heart and reach the members of our own bodies. There are sins that we commit with our eyes, there are sins that we commit with our ears, there are sins that we commit with our mouths, there are sins that we commit with our hands. There are sins that so easily beset us that we commit with our feet. And this is why, as you depend on the Lord and dwell with the Spirit, you need to deal with both the desires, that's the inside, and the deeds of the body on the outside. You need to deal with both what is hidden and what is visible. Let's turn our Bibles now to Colossians chapter 3. Because this is the... Second passage in which the Apostle Paul uses the expression to mortify or to destroy the flesh. And I'd like to read Colossians 3, 5 through 7 because he actually tells us what those deeds of the body are, what those members of our flesh are. So Colossians 3, 5, he says, mortify, same word, mortify, it's an imperative, it's a command. It's something that we're obligated to do. It's something that is essential for our growth and lives as Christians. Mortify, therefore. Kill off. Destroy, therefore. What? Your members which are upon the earth. Now, those members are not just your body. It's the things that are associated with your body. It's the things associated with your flesh. What are they? Fornication. Uncleanness. Inordinate affection. Affection. Evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry, and he continues, for which things sake the wrath of God is coming on the children of disobedience, in the which you also walked sometime when you lived in them. And the implication is, you don't live in that way anymore. God's changed you, and since God's changed you, live as changed people. But here in these verses, Paul gives us a brief list of those members. That are upon the earth. Our members that are upon the earth. And these members also make up those deeds of the body. And those deeds of the body make up our fallen human flesh. So what is our assignment? Our assignment as Christians is to mortify and destroy our sinful deeds. Our sinful deeds. And that's what we find with that word fornication. Of course, we know that that word describes all kinds of sexual sin that is outside of and apart from God's original design for a sexual relationship, which is Genesis 2.24, one man, one woman in marriage for life. That's God's design. You don't have to go very far in the book of Genesis to know what his design for marriage is. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And anything, anything that's outside of God's design is sin. And we have no right to redefine God's own definition of sin. But this kind of sin, we know, and Paul even knows, is such a strong temptation that Paul even uses it as a primary illustration of our need to keep mortifying and killing it off. Isn't this one of the main issues in the Corinthian churches that he writes to? Immorality. And it's still something very prominent in even our churches today, no matter where you are at in this world. And that's why it is so critical for us as Christians to mortify it, to destroy it, to kill it off. Paul also talks about our sinful deliberations, our sinful deliberations with the word uncleanness there in Colossians. This is a more general word for other kinds and forms of sins, sins that aren't just committed with a body, but sins that are committed in the heart this general uncleanness that that we saw last time we need to cleanse ourselves of right jesus addressed our uncleanness in matthew 5:27 and 28 when he says you've heard that it was said of them by old time thou shalt not commit adultery but i say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart and so we, it's not we see that it's not just the members on the outside it's the members on the inside And all kinds of uncleanness in our hearts and lives need to be mortified and destroyed. Uh, But then here in Colossians, with the words or the phrase translated, inordinate affection, Paul then talks about our sinful drives. Our sinful drives. Our sinful drives are those feelings and seemingly irresistible urges that you just have to indulge in sin. Uh, It's the, the picture of animals and beasts just doing what beasts do. And we're not to live that way. God didn't design us that way. I think that's one of the things that I like to impress upon the children our Good News Club, and certainly this is something we ought to impress with, you know, with the children that God brings our way, is that you are different than an animal. You're not a beast. You're a human. You're made in the likeness and the image of God. He created you that way. There's a difference. But anywhere else in this world, they're going to hear that you're no different than an animal. You're just maybe a little bit more intelligent of an animal. And so why do we think that people will start acting like animals and living according to the nature of beasts if they think they are beasts? We need to tell people that that is inordinate affection. You see, the devil often uses this member, this this sinful drive, to make us feel helpless and hopeless when we are tempted that I I have no other way out. I can't control this. Sometimes we feel like there's no way out of temptation but to give in and to sin. You know, when we face those sinful drives, we need to remember, according to 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able but will with a temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. In other words, God will enable you to mortify and destroy even your passion and drive to sin and give you that way to escape. And who is that way to escape? Christ and his cross. With the phrase evil concupiscence, Paul further talks about our sinful desires. Or evil desires and lusts. Uh, This is something John describes that we've looked at already in 1 John 2.16. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. your, Your lust for things in an evil way, when you're dissatisfied with God's way, is evil concupiscence. Your lust for things in an evil way, when you are dissatisfied with God's way, is evil concupiscence. Because what happens is, like Adam and Eve in the garden, you've been duped by the lies of the devil about the forbidden fruit. You see, this is one of those things that we think that dying is living. We think that what the world is doing is really living. But it's not. Their kind of living is dying, and these sinful desires need to be mortified and destroyed as well. But then Paul also talks about our sinful devotion with the last phrase there in Colossians 3, 5, and covetousness, which I think is much the silent killer in our churches in our country today. And covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness is the greedy desire, not just for more, but for more than you're supposed to have. This kind of craving is at its center nothing less, Paul says, than idolatry. Because what you're doing is you're pursuing yourself and your desires, your passions, and your feelings in the place of God. All of these things that we've looked at make up your members which are on the earth. And all of these members are involved in the deeds of the body that we saw in Romans chapter 8. And our assignment is to mortify and destroy and to kill them in order to experience greater victory over them. That's a great assignment. And, you know, I know when I was in school, I had all kinds of assignments, but sometimes I just didn't know how to complete that assignment. (laughs) I didn't know what the teacher was looking for. When I was writing papers for some of my Bible and theological classes in college, you know, they had a, a certain way that you had to do footnotes. And if you've done any kind of term paper, you know that there's different ways of making notes on your paper. And wouldn't you know it that the notes that they wanted in the school of religion follow a totally different pattern than any other school in the college and the university they went to. And I was like, so I write a term paper, like I'd always written a term paper for my English class or any other class. I got it back, and there were all kinds of red marks. And they said, you need to look up the Turabian style. I was like, what in the world is the Turabian style? So I went to ask the teacher, what in the world is the Turabian style? And He pulled out a big old manual. He said, this is the Turabian style. Go get your book. This is mine. Go get your own book. So I had to get that book, and I had to follow that guide to figure out what in the world I was going to do. And finally, I was able to do the assignments right. We have this assignment to mortify the sins and the lusts and the members, and the deeds of our body, but how do we do so? That is the question that we have as Christians. We know that these things are wrong, but how do we go about mortifying them? How do we go about destroying them? How do we go about killing them off? Well, since mortify is a rather morbid word, we need to think a bit morbidly about this. You see, to actively kill something, you can ask Dom and Lincoln about that, right? They've been training to do that. Right. To actively kill something, you need to deprive it of whatever gives it life. And that's what we ought to do with our sins. That's what we ought to do with our lusts. That's what we ought to do with these things. So, if you go back through that list with me, to mortify and destroy your sinful deeds, like fornication, you need to cut off the air supply and the atmosphere in which it survives and thrives. Just cut off the air supply. In Psalm 101, verse 3, David once wrote, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. And if we're dealing with those issues and we keep putting filthy things before our eyes, we're not cutting off the air supply and we'll never mortify it. It will never be destroyed. It will never be killed off. Whatever tempts you to fall away from God's way and God's plan for your nature, you need to cut off even things that you might see or hear or feel to mortify and destroy your sinful deliberations and your uncleanness. You need to drown it out. You need to drown them out. And you drown it out with that which is clean. You know, when someone drowns, it's because their lungs should be full of air. But instead, they're full of water. That's what happens when someone drowns. And if you struggle with unclean thoughts, unclean deliberations in your mind, you need to drown them out as well. How? By replacing them with clean thoughts. The clean thoughts that you find in the water of God's Word. You know, I, have, I hear people say all the time, I really have a hard time memorizing Scripture. Okay, I understand that. Then write it out. Write it out on a three-by-five cord or even a two-inch-by-three-inch card. I think Paige sometimes wrote it out on her hand or arm, you know, as the case may be. Don't do that. Write it out on a piece of paper. And if you can't memorize it, pull it out and read it. And replace those unclean thoughts with clean thoughts. And as you read it over and over and over again, you may not memorize it, but I think you'll be surprised that sometime you will. Perhaps this is one of those verses that you need to put on those cards. Philippians 4.8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. And I think we've looked at that passage before and we realize that every one of those good, noble things that are mentioned in that verse can be applied to Christ. <laughs> so think about Jesus. I think of my blessed Redeemer. I think of Him all the day long. Is that our testimony? That is how we will drown out those unclean thoughts with clean thoughts. Thoughts that point us to Christ. Or what about to mortify and destroy our sinful drives? Those things that we feel like we have no control over. Those inordinate affections. You need to starve those drives from the fuel that feeds it starve you might feel like you can't give up some sin and really in in one sense that's true you can't you cannot by yourself give up and starve yourself from these sins but you can through Christ you know there's a verse that that is applied when when athletes go play football or soccer or baseball and 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 Okay, it's a great verse. I don't think that's exactly what the Lord had intended for this verse. But in Philippians 4.13, it says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. The greatest victory that the Lord wants for His people is not a victory on the ball field. It's a victory in the heart and the soul. And the way that happens is through Him, by starving ourselves from the fuel that feeds those drives and you need to just keep filling up with the right kind of fuel. (laughs) The fuel of His Word, the fuel of His Spirit. But then also to to mortify and destroy your sinful desires and evil concupiscence, finally, you just need to cut the heart out of those old desires of the flesh. Remember that from Galatians 5.24? Paul says, They that are Christ have crucified the flesh. With the affects, affections and lusts. Is that what we think about when we think about our sinful drives and our sinful desires? That's what put Christ on the cross. You know, I mentioned this morning that sin is betrayal. Sin is betrayal. We don't see sin as seriously as we ought to, but sin is betrayal. And it was those kinds of sins that put Christ on the cross for you and for me and now we ought to strive to say with David in Psalm 40 verse 8 I delight to do thy will O my God yea thy law is within my heart I delight to do thy will it's not it's not a drudgery it's a good thing it's a good thing to focus on his law and to desire to do his law and to do his will So to mortify and to destroy your sinful devotion and covetousness, you need to cut off and give up whatever it is that's keeping Jesus from being the head of your heart and life. What are the deeds of the body? What are the members of your soul that you need to mortify and destroy in your life tonight? This is your daily assignment as a child of God's. But you're not alone in this. God has given you the Holy Spirit to be that active agent who will help you to fight and ultimately overcome the enemy of your flesh. It's one of the reasons why I picked the songs that we we sang even tonight. Because of his life, we are able to die to ourself and our sins. It's because of his life, the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we are able to mortify these things. So remember, in this fight against the flesh, Romans 8, 13, if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you again for this other weapon in our spiritual warfare against our own flesh. And Father, we know that so much more could be said about what it means and what it takes to mortify the flesh. We know of a, a great Puritan title by that, by that phrase, mortification of the flesh. And you Lord, even when those Puritans talked about it or when Paul talks about it, we realize that it is never separated from depending on you and dwelling with your spirit day by day. And so, Lord, upon that foundation, I pray that you will enable us to to search out what sin, what lust, what member needs to be destroyed in our life, even tonight. And then by your grace, through your strength, with your discernment and wisdom, we will do whatever it takes to mortify it so that, Lord, we will achieve greater victory over it. And so, Father, I pray that we will find more and more victory in Jesus as we live our lives for you. For it's in his name we pray these things. Amen.